Oh, I'm now three days off sugar. It's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, I've cut down quite a bit, but I just decided to just cut it out. So you see, can I do a month without sugar? And by that, I don't I mean I have fruit and all of that, but nothing with added sugar. Man, it's a uh, it's exciting and challenging. It's kind of a little bit fluey, sleep is a little disturbed, uh, and I guess my body's switching energy sources from sugar to hopefully my muffin top. But yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and so uh, what I've been thinking about, it's a very, very big and interesting question. And it's very foundational to the modern world and to the world to come. Which is, why, oh why, are young men in general becoming more conservative and young women are becoming more liberal? And it's not a little bit. It's not a here or there. It's not a small effect. It's a huge effect. The gap. So the number one red flag for men is if a woman is a communist. And the number one red flag for women is if a man is a MAGA Republican. As if these two things are even vaguely equivalent. And it's happening not just in the West, not just in America, not Europe. It's happening all over the world. In Korea, in China. Well, maybe not China so much. A little tough to get that data. In Korea, in Japan, in, in just a wide variety of places this phenomenon is occurring. And it's a wild thing to see. It is a desperately sad thing to see. It's a desperately sad thing to see. So I've been sort of thinking, what could be going on? Now, we could say, oh, it's the media, but that doesn't really answer much. Because it's happening in places where there's, you know, wildly disparate groups who are working in the media and it's happening on too consistent a basis worldwide for it to be the fault of any one particular culture or media or something like that. So I don't think it's driven by supply. I think it's more driven by demand. In other words, are the girls becoming more woke and then want more woke shows? Or are they being programmed by shows making them sort of, quote, making them woke? I think, given the prevalence of the phenomenon, that it's really tough to make the case that just somehow, simultaneously, all of the shows are just programming girls all over the place, Canada, in Japan, in Korea, in Mexico, just all over the place, this phenomenon. Now, it's of course not occurring equally everywhere, but it is occurring everywhere to a fairly significant degree, at least everywhere that I've seen, and maybe there are some exceptions here and there, but so to me, the big question is always, why? <laughs> That's the big, big philosophical question. Why, why is this happening? What on earth is going on? Now, if you guys have thoughts, if you guys have ideas or, or arguments about this, again, it's a, a live chat, so I'm certainly happy to, uh, to hear. Uh, and again, I'll pause here in case anybody wants to uh, jump in. I always saw conformity more, right? So they're more likely to go along with the crowd. And the Wokies, they're losing power, but they still, you know, massive institutional control, right? And women are also more neurotic, 
you know, more capacity for negative emotion. And so, you know, a lot of this propaganda is very powerful in terms of stimulating those negative emotions, you know, uh, with climate change, it's the world's going to end soon unless we do something now, you know, with racism, you know, the entire society was founded by these racist people and they are uh, out to get you, right? So there's a lot well, of so here, sorry, narrative. sorry to interrupt. I mean, I, I hear where you're coming from and, and I, but the, the question is, so let's say that women are more uh, agreeable. I think that's the sort of uh, technical term, right? So women are more agreeable. Okay. So why are they only agreeing with each other and the media and not the men? Right? So that's, that's the question to me. Because if we say women are agreeable, let's say that that's true, and that seems to be true, women are slightly more agreeable than men. Okay, so then that what they should be doing, biologically or evolutionarily speaking, they should be agreeing with the men who are becoming more conservative, but they're going in quite the opposite direction, which means they, uh, if the agreement aspect of female nature is what is causing it, then it doesn't explain why they're choosing to agree with, say, the media rather than with the men in their lives, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would say it's because the agreeableness is to whoever has the most power in the tribe. And the power is in the hands of the media and the institutions rather than just the men they know. No, no, but the, uh, the, well, the power, no, hang on. But the power isn't in the institutions in terms of coercion, right? I mean, it's not like Netflix or whoever. They don't tie you up in a windowless van and make you watch their, their products. So power is, I mean, it's, I think the word might be a bit too wide or might be doing a bit too much work here. Because surely, I mean, the men in their lives would also have some authority or, or some believability or something that would be, that they, they would want to listen to. In other words, why would you listen to strangers rather than the men in your life? And again, this is a worldwide phenomenon. Right. Well, part of our, part of the problem is that our communities have been gotten rid of because of this radical individualism. We've been atomized. And so a lot of the uh, information and culture is digital, right? And so the, the culture is dominated by the institutions that are producing the culture. And that's not, you know, the men in their lives. That's the... So, sorry, are you uh, saying that it's... it's sorry, culture. are you saying that it's the lack of men in these women's lives? Uh, in a sense, yes. Be because there, the amount of you know, there's no sense of local community anymore. No, no, but sorry, but it would be it would be. I mean, family is usually the biggest influence over people, right? I mean, you've heard a million call-in shows where people uh, who call me, we, you know, they're they're forty and they're still emotionally wrought, or fifty and still emotionally wrought over things that happened in their family. So. Uh, we, we, we haven't atomized to the point where people don't even have families. So wider communities, yeah, there's certainly been some of that. But it's also happening in churches, right? So in, in Christian churches, in, in what used to be formerly Christian conservative churches, it's also happening. And that means that the community argument isn't a differentiator. So if people are really atomized and living isolated lives in high-rise apartments, Okay, but then you'd say, well, where there's more community and there's more shared values and, and an anti-wokeness that is um, uh, coming out of more conservative circles, then that would be the case 
uh, that that would differentiate so, it, but it's also happening in those areas as well. So something that I've noticed being a Christian for decades is that the culture of the community and or, or the wider society inevitably creeps into the church. I think that's why you're seeing it in the churches. And many churches have just outright waved the right flag and sold out and said, uh, we're going to dilute our doctrines to uh, become more appealing to broader society. And so just because a person's in a Christian community doesn't mean they're not getting this wokeness, right? Like, I agree, I mean, I but take, then the answer, but then the answer is an atomization because if if it's atomization, then communities should be resisting it. But if both atomized individuals and communities are susceptible to it, then the atomization isn't the, isn't the key argument. It's not the key differentiator. If that makes sense, right? Well, when I when I said that uh, we're atomized, that was a much broader societal thing. Obviously, there's counterexamples, right? And one of those counterexamples is the church. And another would be the family. But uh, the family has been weakening for some time, right? Uh, marriage rates are down, birth rates are down. And as I've uh, explained, a lot of the churches have just outright sold out. And so what, what I'm saying is there's this broader movement towards, you know, atomization. But even in the areas that do have community, a lot of them are serving the left. Right, which means that atomization isn't the key issue, because then if there are communities that aren't atomized that are still susceptible to this, then atomization doesn't answer as much as you'd like. And of course, even in, in families where there's a strong community, there are Christian values, uh, the, the parents are still together, this phenomenon is still occurring. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the breakdown of the family, because even where the family unit's strong, there is still this phenomenon, even when there's a community around, there's still this phenomenon. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of flailing around a little bit here. I have some ideas or thoughts. Is there anyone else who wanted to chime in with this? Because it's really the biggest single issue in many ways that is facing our societies. Because if the women are veering left and the men are veering right, uh, dating is going to go down relationship stabilities, uh, pair bonding, and all of that, that's all going to kind of collapse. And, of course, it's going to further depress birth rates. And, of course, since the left is quite often anti-masculine, then uh, women are being trained out of liking and enjoying the company of men and being, in a sense, programmed to be sort of hard-eyed, suspicious, and skeptical. And then, of course, if you don't like men, or if men don't like women, then all that's left to drive relationships is the sex drive, which is not sustainable and doesn't, you, you can't pair bond on sex drive. You can only pair bond on values, because sex drives is just about copulation, which just about anyone can do, and so it doesn't differentiate based upon personal virtues or values. So the pair bonding requires personality it, it, you can't pair so pair bonding goes down and all of that so yeah it's it's a very big and exciting challenge and again i have some thoughts but we do have to try and figure out what's in common because uh, the stuff that comes up that doesn't seem to differentiate i mean if you look at a society like japan it is a lot more collectivist in many ways than the hyper individualistic west but it's still happening there too so if anyone else has any thoughts i'd be happy to uh, to hear, and this could be just observations or experience as well. It doesn't have to be some big abstract answer.
Uh, someone in the chat asked what I meant by radical individualism, so I might as well define it. I define radical individualism as this idea that's pervasive in society that as long as you're not hurting anyone else, whatever you're doing is virtuous or okay. So, for example, and the, re the reason why this is not a good idea is because everything you do affects the people around you. So, for example, with degenerative lifestyles, you know, if you're not having children and you're you're promoting these lifestyles, you are, in a sense, taking away or influencing people into living a lifestyle that is degenerate. Degenerate meaning it is not building society, especially towards the future. Right. Well, and also completely unsustainable, right? That the people don't have kids, that's it, right? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that this mindset says is okay. So, you know, whether it's homosexuality or pornography or drug use, because you're not hurting someone else, they've decided that this is a standard, that this is the absolute standard of ethics. And um, no, it, it, it's like, I, I would ask the epistemological epistemological question of how do you know that how do you know that well hang on though but so but i think what you're describing there is more hedonism than individualism well it's individualism in the sense because it's um as long as i'm not affecting anyone else it's okay sorry as long that, as that, i'm not what as, as long as i'm not hurting anyone else well, but that's not, that's okay. not even, that's, that's, sorry, but that's not even close. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be Mr. Contrarian or anything, and I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem to me that that's close to what society is talking about. So, I mean, everybody would recognize that, say, the national debt hurts the next generation, mm -hmm. right? So, and, and nobody is saying we have to dismantle excessive government spending because it's causing a national debt, which is destroying the economic prospects of the next generation. So it's the reason I would say it's 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 hedonism is hedonism is my pleasure everyone else be damned. Right? M my pleasure is the only thing that matters. It's really sort of a narcissistic kind of approach to life. It's it's my pleasure and everyone else I could care less. I'm going to use them, I'm going to abuse them, I'm going to steal from them. It's just I'm I'm serving the giant Pac-Man of my own dopamine seeking. And that's I don't think it's individualism that's the issue. I think it's, uh, and it's also not as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, because, you know, there's, there's tons of stuff that hurts other people, particularly economically, which people still pursue like crazy. And I would argue that's not out of individualism uh, or, you know, and, and they would recognize even themselves. I mean, you talk to anyone and say, is the national debt bad for the next generation? Well, sure. But still, people want to do it. So they, they recognize that their own particular preferences or actions are hurting others. They just don't care. And that is selfishness or, or hedonism or narcissism or something like that. Yeah, you, you raise a great point. Actually, I think hedonism is a great way to put it. Um, in that case, how would you define radical individualism then? Or this, this phenomenon? Um, I, I haven't really applied it to things like the national debt. More the social things that I've... That that's sort of where I've seen this kind of trend. But uh, so how well, would you I don't, define? Radical no, I, I don't find the term radical outside of science, free radicals or whatever. I don't find the term radical. It's like the term extremist. It's uh -huh. just a pejorative without much intellectual content. Now, of course, I I know that the criticism and argument against individualism is well. There's identity politics in a 
democracy, and therefore, if you just are completely individualistic and never join up with anyone else, then every other group outvotes you and you decay. But but that's not a problem with individualism. That's a problem with democracy having the power to take from everyone and their grandson. So I, you know, if you're asking me to define the term, I I don't really know. Like, what is individualism? Individualism fundamentally says that individuals exist, groups do not. And uh, so I I don't know what it is. It's it's Aristotelianism, which to say that the individual thing exists, the concept does not. That doesn't mean that the concept is subject, subjective or arbitrary. And so if I say trees exist, the forest does not, that seems to be an accurate statement of matter and energy, right? The, the forest is a concept, the trees are real tangible things. And so if I say it is the individual that exists, the group is a concept, now, of course, you can look at genetics and you can say there's the haplogroups and so on that would have some similarity. I get all of that for sure. But even the identification, so there would be genes in common and that would sort of be a, a physical thing. But there's no invisible thread going from one group, so from one member of a group to another. So if you'd find people as male, there's not an invisible thread connecting all males. There's a concept. And again, the concept is not subjective or arbitrary, but uh, it doesn't exist in the same way that the individual does. So individualism, to me, is saying that the individuals exist and uh, groups are concepts which don't exist in the same way. Now, if you say, okay, the individual exists, but I radically believe that individuals exist. It's radical individualism. It's like, I don't know what... I mean, it's either a true or false statement. If it's a false statement, it should be discarded. If it's a true statement, it should be accepted. I don't know what we get in particular by putting the word radical in front. You, you, you've convinced me. I'll use the term hedonism to describe this phenomenon. I, I, you're right. I think it's better. It's more specific, well-defined, and less likely to be a pejorative. Uh, and so sorry, I, and I, it, sorry. The, the, the other thing, too, is that it, 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 it sort of puts binary statements into the Aristotelian mean, which is sort of a big problem with modern thinking, right? So uh, it's saying that the middle ground is always the good. And everything which focuses only on one extreme or another, like in, everyone recognizes that pure collectivism is not good. And then you say pure individualism is not good, right? Uh, it's an extremist thing, radical individualism and so on. And um, I mean, I, I respect the Aristotelian mean in a lot of things, but not in identification of stark empirical reality, right? So it's not like, well, here's a painting of a tree, and here's a, an actual tree. And what a tree is, is something between the two. It's like, no, the tree is the tree, and the painting is the representation of the tree, but it's not the tree. So there's not, it's not a radical position to say that the tree is the tree. And it's, uh, it, 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 although it is a radical position to say that the real tree is the one in the painting, and the other one is, is some platonic made-up nonsense. So... Yeah, I, well, I'm, always on, I'm always on guard with myself out. to make sure that I don't take the Aristotelian mean and apply it to binary things. Like, Aristotle himself wouldn't say, well, too much axe murdering is bad, too little axe murdering is bad, you want just something right in the middle, or that wouldn't be part of the continuum. Sorry, I interrupted twice, go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, what, I, what I said is some things are on a continuum and others are not. Uh, so to go back to the original question of why there's this gap between men and women, 
the essence of my argument is that because men and women are fundamentally different in their nature, that their response to propaganda is also going to be different, depending on whether it attacks a weakness more common in men versus women, right? So I would say the the women are uh, looking more towards uh, which side has more, I'd say, cultural power, whereas the men are saying, uh, is this, uh, they're a little more rational and they're saying, is this working? Is this wokeism leading to any good results? And the answer is no. Right. They, they, a lot of the stuff their their side is doing is a failure because they've gone so radically far left that the inmates are running the asylum. Right. They're, they're attacking basic, easily disproven objective reality. And so they're becoming laughingstocks. And I think the men are picking up on that faster than the women. OK. OK. Uh, so uh, I get I mean, I obviously thought of the propaganda aspect and, and maybe you're right. But the challenge I have with the propaganda aspect is if you say. Women are more susceptible to propaganda, and that's why women are going leftist, or women are going woke. Wait, hold on. I, I think men, women are more susceptible to some types of propaganda, and men are more susceptible to some types of propaganda. It, it's not that one side is uh, necessarily more resistant than another. I think it's more complex than that. I'm oh, sorry, I thought we were talking earlier about the higher trait of agreeableness. And I think higher agreeableness means you are more vulnerable to some types of propaganda and maybe less so to others. Because, you know, agreeableness is a morally neutral trait. It's not that having one makes you better necessarily. Okay, so, so if we're going to say that propaganda is having an effect on this, and one of the markers for this is a willingness to have uh, children, right? So we know as a sort of simple matter of record, at least in America, and I think in other places too, single women tend to be the most leftist, and then women who are married without children tend to be more conservative, and women who are married with children tend to be the most conservative. So one argument could be that this is an inevitable outgrowth, for reasons we can get into, it's an inevitable outgrowth of women delaying having children or not having children at all. Like half the women, I think, in the UK who are 30 and don't have kids are never going to have kids. So it could just be that women sort of start off more on the left and then grow into conservatism by getting married and having kids. So That's definitely possible. So, uh, so then it, the question would be not so much the propaganda regarding leftism, but it would be the propaganda regarding not having children. Now, of course, there is a lot of antinatalist propaganda in the West, but in other places, uh, I'm thinking Japan and, and Korea, well, both the Koreas, in fact, the leader of North Korea was recently weeping because the North Korean women are not having children. And they can't raise the birth rate significantly in China because of the, what, 30 years of the one-child policy and so on, women just don't want to have kids, and they're really having a tough time budging that at all. And so in places where, if you say, well, women are kind of susceptible to propaganda, well, in places where the propaganda is really trying to work like crazy to promote the birth rate, it's not working. 
In fact, I, there's no society that I know of, not that that's authoritative or anything, but there's no society that I've ever re- read of that's able to reverse the birth rate issue, no matter how much propaganda they throw at it. So if propaganda, if we say, well, women maybe are not having kids and are more left because of propaganda, then propaganda should be able to reverse that, but it doesn't. It doesn't. So it's not, I don't think it's just propaganda. Right. But one thing proper, that counters propaganda has always been biology, right? And I think that's part, part of what you're pointing out, is that once the, those conditions exist in which women don't want to have children, um, it isn't really reversible. And from what I understand, that, that is indeed the case. That uh, It's a lot easier to get women to stop having children than it is to get them to start once they've stopped. Right. And so there must be something other than propaganda as a factor. Right, so if it's easier to swim one way in a river than the other, we have to take into account the current, right? So there has to be some kind of current that moves women in this direction, and propaganda can accelerate it, but it's helpless to reverse it or even slow it down very much. So propaganda isn't the answer. Propaganda is... Something which can speed it up, but not, you know, so, a, 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 car yeah. will, a car will get the bank robber to the bank quicker. But even if he walks, he's still going to rob the bank. The car isn't the deciding factor about whether he robs the bank. It's just whether he gets there faster or slower. Sorry, go ahead. So that does make me wonder. So men and women, you know, the, the, the dating market has been a disaster for some time. If men and women aren't talking to each other then that implies that they're part of different communities. And so maybe the current is within the difference of the communities that they're in. Yeah, I'm sorry, that doesn't illuminate much for me, but I'm happy to hear more. So the the, the difference of direction in where they're going, uh, the, the communities that people are involved in, are a significant contributor to that, right? The, that's why the whole idea is culture precedes politics often, although it can go both ways. And so what I'm suggesting is if men and women aren't talking to each other, it could be they're living in different echo chambers. Well, I, I, think, that's, I think that's taken for granted, but the question is why? Now, if we say, well, the echo chambers are producing it, then we have to say, why is it the same all over the world? There's not one central place that puts out all the propaganda in all the countries in the world. So for sure, I mean, leftism is an echo chamber, rightism can be a bit of an echo chamber. Conservatism tends to be much less of an echo chamber simply because it has exposure to the mainstream political and cultural view, whether you like it or not. Like every time you go see a movie or pick up a book or turn on the news or like you're going to get all of that so leftism can live in a bubble rightism generally can't so saying that there's an echo chamber doesn't particularly explain why and it's funny too because for me when i'm really struggling with an answer it's usually because i'm looking in the wrong place you know like that there's at least when i was younger there's this famous cartoon or this this famous story about a guy comes out of a bar and sees another guy looking under a street lamp, and he's like, oh, I lost my keys, can you help me? They look around for a while, and the guy says, there aren't any keys here. 
why what's going on guy and the, the first the, the guy who's been looking for his keys says oh i i didn't drop them over here i dropped them up the alley but there's no light over there and so for me when we talk about women going left and men going right we generally focus on the women which is interesting and i think again i don't have any final answer of course i mean if there even is one that we can figure out at this point but I think it has more to do with the men. I think it, because one thing that seems to be very common, and you guys, of course, tell me you're closer to the, a lot closer to the youth culture, most of you, than I am. But one of the things that I think really, really seems to be happening is men throughout the West and throughout the world, really, are becoming more feminized. Sperm counts are down. And testosterone levels are down, and the promotion of the girl boys, like you know the the the, the boy bands and and the sort of half half teenage boy ideal and so on, and the constant girl bossing of yeah, you know, have the girl boss, have the superhero, have the kickass woman fighter. That women are encouraged to be more masculine. And men are encouraged to be more feminine. And, uh, I mean, there's tons of cultural examples we can think of that. But with regards to men, I think what's happening to a large degree is that men, and I can see this, I see this all over the place on social media, that men really don't feel comfortable going up and talking to, to women. And... The men, it's sort of, you know, the late-stage mouse utopia stuff where they groom and, and so on. So there's a lot of grooming and, and so on, but there's not a lot of approaching. When I was a teenager, which of course is like 40 years ago now, but when I was a teenager, the girls made themselves pretty and the guys approached the girls. I don't really think that's happening anymore. I think, you know, the Me Too movement and just you know, all that gym stuff. Like, I, I noticed this the other day. I was at a gym, which I don't usually go to, but there was particular circumstances. I was at the gym, and there were four women who were working out in the environment. And I, you know, felt the urge, and I think everyone's experienced this if you go to the gym, you feel the urge to avert your eyes. Because we've seen so many videos of girls uh, working out or women working out at the gym, and then they're filming, and there's some he's there's a creep, right? There's, it's, it's creepy. It's it's beard. It's bad, right? And so I think as girls get programmed in a sense to be more to to have more masculine characteristics, and the boys in a sense get programmed to have more feminine characteristics, then. The, sorry, go ahead. Uh, that would mean attraction levels go way down. Well, right? I, I so do not, think the attraction yeah. levels go down because I think girls are doing something that's not particularly innate to their natures, which is to, to, to chase boys and to ask boys out and to, uh, to take the initiative and, and all of that. And the boys then get kind of passive, and since the girls are often looking for men of somewhat 
uh, somewhat resolute natures and and go get them kind of natures, and then they have these you know fairly passive man boys, and of course video games, endless sitting, lack of sports, lack of vitamin D, lack of sunshine, and of course this all came out of the pandemic. It went to the to the moon as far as that went. I think that. If I, if I think of leftism as an inevitable response to feeling unprotected, right, as an inevitable response to feeling unprotected, then as the men become more feminine and the girls become more masculine, then the girls feel less protected. And women, because they're physically smaller, physically less less strong and have the vulnerabilities of sometimes aggressive male sexual attention they have the vulnerabilities of pregnancy and and childbirth and child raising and breastfeeding and and so on so when women feel unprotected by men then women will gravitate more towards the state someone has to protect the females someone has to protect the females and of course, a lot of what the government dangles in front of women are functions formerly performed by husbands, right? I'll, I'll take care of you. There was even there was a chip that was going to go into television in the 90s. It was a TiVo chip or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was supposed to control the TV shows that you, they're not too mature, right? Well, that could sort of be the job of the dad. Or you think of the Tipper Gore parental advisory lyrics i mean that would be that's sort of a typical female thing to say well we're going to say that these lyrics on this rap album or this album are really really bad and of course men know that that just makes it like forbidden fruit and sweet nectar to to kids and is actually going to increase the popularity of the album but so it's like or or video game controls or you know, like, you can only play a certain screen time controls and so on. Uh, so, I think, I think governments are dangling in front of women various protections. If you get sick, then you get disability uh, payments. If you lose your job, you get unemployment benefits. If you're, well, when you've got to go back to work and your kids need... Um, to be taken care of, we were going to give them daycare and, of course, schools and, and all of that. And, you know, we'll, we'll pay off your student loans, and student loans are majority held by women. And beforehand, if a woman had a debt, then sometimes the man she would marry would, would pay it off. So I think it's a variety of things that are, that just seems to happen when there's both an abundance of resources, and that's partly real because of the vestiges of capitalism, and it's partly imaginary or exploitive because of money printing and debt, but where there is an excess of resources, the male-female roles that evolved on the basis of the scarcity of resources crumble and kind of reverse. When there's an excess of resources and, of course, a centralized coercive social agency that redistributes them, that, that takes them from men and gives them to women. Because, of course, in the past, how would a woman gain protection? How would a woman gain protection? How would she gain the protection of a man? 
Well, it wasn't with sex. It was with monogamy and the provision of children. Right, so the woman would have to trade sleeping around for monogamy, and she would have to trade fun barrenness for the provision of children. So children would be offered up by women in return for security. But now that the government is providing security, women can act more like immature men. Women don't have to give up the products of their womb in in exchange for security and security in their old age and, and so on, right? Because people used to have kids in part so that somebody would be there to take care of them in their old age. But now, of course, there's government-sponsored or government-pay-for-old-age homes. There's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, sort of you name it. So I, I, really, I think it comes back a lot to this redistributive stuff, that women no longer have to trade the creation of children for the provision of security so they're not having kids. And leftism is the redistributive state. Leftism is taking from the competent and giving to the poor. And so they need so if they choose not to have children because leftism is providing them resources without them having to get married and have kids, then they're really going to have to get behind that ideology. They, they have to really double, triple, quadruple down on that ideology. Because if you don't have kids and you're 40, and you really can't have kids practically after that as a woman, but at least most women can't, that you really have to double down on that redistributive thing. Because most women don't have much in terms of savings. A lot of women have a lot of debt. And if you are a woman who then can't get resources from men through youthful beauty and the possibility of getting married and providing kids. And, and then after a while, you can't even get money from men. You know, I was reading the story about this woman who, had, she didn't buy groceries for two years straight because all she did was go on dates. And she wasn't even that pretty. I mean, I sort of hate to say, like, that's the only metric. I'm sure she had her charms. But when you can't, use sexual attractiveness, you can't use monogamy, you can't use um, the, um, the provision of children in order to gain resources and security into your old age, then you really have to double down on leftism, which is coercive redistribution through the state. I mean, you really do go all in on statism if you're a woman who hasn't gotten married or stayed married and, and have kids. And of course, if you are a woman who got married, had kids, and then got divorced, you're even more dependent upon the state. And the only person more dependent than that is the person, the woman who never got married and had kids and doesn't even maybe even know the father of her children. They absolutely have to double, triple, quadruple down on uh, statism. It's the kind of thing that if you subsidize people for making bad decisions, and those bad decisions are lifelong, then people have to defend those subsidies almost to the death. If you subsidize people's bad decisions and those bad decisions become irreversible, then those people will defend those subsidies almost to the bitter end. I mean, there has to be massive dislocations for that to change. And that phenomenon 
of coercive redistribution at the centre of society is occurring every place that I can see women going more to the left. Because, as you know, like men pay the majority of taxes, women receive the majority of benefits. Now, of course, a woman who gets married, who becomes dependent upon her husband's income, wants taxes to go down because the tax system is taking money out away from her family, right? The single mother with two kids or whatever, she wants taxes to go up because that means more money in the kitty for her to pick and choose from. So uh, propaganda, eh, to me, that wasn't particularly satisfying. Of course, there are elements, and I'm, you know, it's, it's a multifaceted thing. But I think the redistributionist aspect, I so, think, is what is changing things the most. Sorry, go ahead. So one advantage of your approach is that it does explain why this is happening around the world, right? Because this resource generation, you know, as more and more of the world comes out of poverty, more and more of the world gets these excess resources. Well, no, no, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, it's not, not just the excess resources. It's the excess resources plus the redistribution estate plus money well, printing, on, money that, printing plus debt. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So another thing that reminds me of is, you know, one problem wealthy parents face when their children want something is it's much harder to say no, right? Much easier to say no when we can't afford it than it is when you can. And as these societies get this extra wealth, it becomes much easier to justify having a welfare state, right? Like if most people are barely making it by, if they have the salaries we used to have a hundred years ago, you know, where people were living on you know, a couple of dollars a day or whatever it was, it's much harder to sell them a welfare state than it is when you have a lot more wealth. Well, it's I mean, not just the, the wealth, it's also the women who vote, right? Because the welfare state is 100%, whereas a guy is not 100%, right? The guy might leave you, uh, the guy might die, and you know, you'd have insurance and all of that, but the welfare state is guaranteed, whereas if you're a mother and you are relying on your children into old age, Maybe you weren't that good a mother. Maybe they move away. Maybe they don't like you. Maybe they get sucked into a cult or something. Like, who knows, right? So women veer more towards certainty than chance. And right. in the same way that men often will veer more towards pornography than dating and relationships, because that's certainty, not a chance as much. So we, we tend to gravitate more towards certainty. So when women get the vote, and of course, this is old hat in this kind of conversation, so I'll just touch on it briefly. Of course, as we know that when women get the vote, redistributive social spending towards women's risks goes through the roof. Right. And also, um, one of the fundamental problems with voting is that a lot of the theft is distributed widely across society, whereas the benefits accrue to fewer people. So in the case of uh, women and welfare and other benefits, um, a woman is going to fight harder, a lot harder, for those benefits than the equivalent man is to prevent that from happening. Well, and of course, as you know, a very small percentage of people pay most of the taxes, right? So you, you just, you, as a productive person, you're just outnumbered because you've got, uh, you've got like, I, don't, I mean, it depends on where you look. 
but you know, often half of the taxes are paid by like five or ten percent of the people, and and so on, right? So you you just you just vastly outnumbered and outvoted, and and then what happens, of course, is that you 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 start off maybe originally with the idea of charity, like well, I, I really want to help these these single mothers. And then very quickly, it becomes a noose around society's neck. In other words, if the welfare checks stop, the cities are destroyed through riots. Like, it's no longer about helping people. It's just about preventing the destruction of your cities to some degree. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and, and of course, their greed is never satiated. No amount is ever enough. Uh, nobody on their side even conceives of saying that there's a certain point that should stop. It's always more, 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 more. Well, their greed is to some degree satiated in that if you give them money, they won't riot. Or they won't send their sons out to riot. So it's not a totally bottomless hole, but the money better keep flowing. No, no I'd say the amount that they desire. So it's a scarcity thing of all needs are infinite, right? And my point is that the the amount of that wealth... Sorry, it's all desires are infinite? Ad- Sorry. All needs are not infinite. It's the desires that are infinite. Needs can be satiated. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so the amount that they desire is constantly increasing until, you know, it gets to absurd levels. And it, it's similar. And, 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 you know, the people that are opposing it, um, because the math is uneven, you know, it's similar to like the sugar subsidies where, you know, you every individual pays 20 cents more for a candy bar. It's not worth it to you to fight that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. Companies producing the sugar make billions. Right. Right. Off of that. And so the, the incentives to oppose it are much lower than the incentives to promote it. And so over time, the side that's promoting it tends to win. Well, and of course, with debt... The people who might oppose it aren't even born yet. I mean, it's a completely unfair battle. It's like me claiming to be the world heavyweight champion because I, in my mind, I've already beaten up the next world weight heavyweight champion that's going to be around in 30 years. So, uh, Is there anyone else who wants to jump in and, and uh, chime in? Because I do think this is a very interesting and challenging uh, problem. And it's little discussed, I think, in a lot of places. Yeah, and we kind of need to do something if we want men and women to make babies and uh, continue society. <laughs> well, okay, so it's just sort of waiting for people, and um, James or Jared, you can let me know if, if somebody wants to talk or has typed something, but I think that it's going to be very hard to try and convince women to give up the state if they're not being approached by men, or if there aren't men out there who are willing to take on the protection of of women so uh let me ask you let me ask you this if you're a single guy in this conversation you can just type this if you don't want to say anything that's fine but if you're a single guy do you approach uh women now i don't necessarily mean like in the grocery store like a totally cold approach or something like that but do you smile at women do you you're at a coffee shop, and do you exchange a smile with a woman when you sit down with your coffee or something? Like, do you, do you smile at women? Do you chat with women at all? And no, not necessarily with the intention of immediately getting a girlfriend, but just to stay in practice 
uh, with talking to women and all of that, is that something that you do or is that something that you just don't do? Not really. I'm sorry? Not really. So Not- this uh, now this is a this is a modern thing. Sorry, this is my little rant here. This is a modern thing that's driving me crazy. And I'm sorry, like I just had two call-in shows where I basically had to thumbscrew people to get an answer. I don't know what not really means. That's a vague, low-T response that drives me crazy. You know, if I said, hey, has your second cousin ever murdered someone? And you say, not really. I don't know what to make of that. Do you do it or not? If you do it, then that's binary. If you don't do it, that's, right? But not really. Now, not really is fine if you're just starting to tell me, but if your whole answer is not really, I don't know what to do with that. So uh, you, if you could expand on it, I'd appreciate it. Sure. It's just like, hey, um, I see a woman I'm interested in. Like, I'll be saying, hey, it would be nice to ask her out. But it's like, oh, you know, there might be negative consequences. And there might be like a Me Too story or, you know, something like that. So, is it, sorry, is it local negative consequences? Like she's going to get away from me, creep? Is it going to be like that? Or is it going to be like she's going to so- secretly film you and you're going to get hounded out of town? So for me, the, the local, the local uh, consequences feel more, feel more real. Like, hey, as you can say, I'm a creep or give me like a bad stare. Or, yeah. Now, do you think that that's fundamentally different than the rejection that men have faced since the dawn of our species? And I, I know that sounds kind of snarky. I don't. Because, you know, I, I always was nervous to go talk to a girl I really liked and, and the, the, the possibility of rejection, of her telling her friends, of everyone laughing at you. I mean, that was always there. Is it, is it, and that's why I was asking about the social media thing. Is it worse now because of that? Yeah, it just seems like, like women aren't as receptive, right? Because there's, you know, there's this, like, the male system, there's this, you know, it just feels like, as before, like, at, at least, I think traditionally women would be more just, like, respectful of the man approaching, but now just, like, you know, you might get your, your ass on a pitchfork, you know, through social media or, you know, something like that. Well, hang on. So, so those are two different situations, right? And I'm sorry, I don't mean to be nitpicky, but it's really important to me that I try and get this right. So if I said, is it more the social media or the personal, you said it's more the personal. So if we can just stay on that. Sure. Do you think that 40 years ago when I was a teenager, I'm not saying you're a teenager, but when I was asking uh, girls out, do you not think I got my share of, you know, eye rolls and, and I have a boyfriend, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, irritation or annoyance and all of that. Because, you know, I mean, like most young men, I had a kind of a fetish for physical beauty and those women are adroit at rejection, right? They kind of have to be, right? So is it, I mean, I know it's tough to compare, and I, because I haven't been out in the dating market for like, I don't know, I've been married 21 years, so I met my wife 11 months before we got married. So not quite a quarter century, but not far off. Is it impossible, so to speak, relative to the past? Is it much, much worse? I mean, it it doesn't seem like it's that different now. Like 
I'm thinking about what you're saying. It's like, yeah, there's, there could be some like, yeah, like a standard rejection, you know, like negative viral, like, you know, the things that you talked about. So yeah, maybe, maybe it's, it's not that different. And maybe it's problem with us men just not, you know, getting the cojones to actually just do it like our men in the past have done. Well, I mean, I don't know. But I guess another question that I would have is, does it have something to do with maybe a somewhat or a slight lack of courage because of uh, falling testosterone levels, right? Could that be another reason why it seems more scary now than it did in the past? And maybe women are more brazen in their rejection because men are more tentative in their approach. I mean, these are all just pie-in-the-sky theories, but it's possible. Yeah, it could be because, yeah, like, like, spalling testosterone levels it's just that that little push that we need it's just it's lacking like that top level push to just say hey i'm going to push through this fear of asking this one no and just and that's just compounding and then, yeah then we would see that and it's more abrasive because they, they know that hey these men they're kind of they're not the same men before so i mean in, and, in, sorry oh, go and, ahead and I was going to say on top of that, it's like, I guess from a woman's perspective, like since, since they now know that men are quote unquote weaker than before, they have to be really brazen to know, Hey, like if this man really pushes, then I know for sure that he's going to be a male that can provide. Right. And, and you are, so the women are in competition with pornography and the men are in competition with the state. Right. And so he has to provide to me more than the government does. And the government's pretty certain government's going to pay, government's going to be there, government's never going to leave me. You know, like uh, if, if my husband decides to leave me, there won't be sort of riots all over the place and the media won't be screeching and whipping up frenzies and so on. Whereas if they try to cut the welfare, that's going to happen, right? Not just that, they don't have to make these sacrifices required for virtue and they get praised for doing so which is a hard thing for most people to resist. And do you think that's more the case with women? Because it seems to me that men are praised for not displaying the courage, not, not displaying the virtue called courage. Keeping your distance, not being creepy, being respectful, not being a Me Too creep, you know. I think that men are praised for not displaying the courage of, uh, called, called virtue. Uh, sorry, the virtue called courage. Sorry, we're back with men are praised. And so, uh, yeah, so women are praised for um, bad habits and bad behaviors. But I, I think I think that men are too. And over this area, you can see the promotional Oh, man. That, sorry, you have a terrible microphone. <laughs> I can't hear what you're saying. You'll have to speak slowly. Or not at all, it seems. All right. Hmm. Well, interesting. Just, Sorry, go ahead. I also want to say, too, that women can clearly see that uh, us men are getting our ass kicked by the, you know, the leftist the state. Like, we're getting our ass kicked. So, to really... No, like, but I that... Sorry, a, sorry to interrupt, but that means that you're all the more impressive if you push through. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, that's... We have, like, if you can push through that, then, yeah, then... Then she knows, I guess she knows for sure that, hey, this guy, he can really, he's a stand-up guy, he, he can provide him, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, look, every everybody knows the story of the the girl sleeping at the tower, the princess sleeping at the tower. The man has to fight through swamps and beasts and dragons uh, in order to awaken her, and and then she's his, and and all of that, right? So, uh, a man that overcomes obstacles to win the woman. The reason why these stories are so attractive, in particular to women, is because a man who will climb mountains and fight a dragon in order to get the woman is a man she can really trust because he's sacrificed so much for her, he ain't going to leave her. I mean, is it not the case? I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong, but I'm happy to hear arguments to the contrary. But isn't it kind of the case that it's like ask girls out or that's it for civilization? Makes sense, but never thought of the, never put that, those stakes on what I want to ask women. I mean, just think about more like my own fear, my own like unconfidence. But yeah, if you put it in that mind frame, it might uh, like just give you that extra curtain to say, hey, like it's not only just for me, it's just for the future. I mean, yeah, like mo- most, most men would prefer an actual wife or girlfriend to pornography, and most women would prefer an actual husband to some bureaucratic check mailed every month. It's pretty hard to oppose your argument when our southern border is open and a whole bunch of people are pillaging through. Either we fill up our society or others will. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, that may not be wholly related, but as far as... I mean, the the war that is required, in a sense, is just a war against our own fears. We don't actually have to take on a dragon. We don't actually have to climb a cliff with razor-sharp rocks in it. We don't have to fight off hordes of orcs. But I think we do have to talk to women. Well, that's the benefit of the current situation, is that for men, a lot of our competition is weak. Right. But then if you don't fight when your competition is weak, you can't call your competition weak because they're still stronger than you. Right. But my point is, for those who are willing, uh, you know, if you actually do want to make it to the other side, um, the fact that the other side is weak would embolden you. Yeah, it's not a dragon. It's an anole. It's like a little, little lizard that fits on your palm and doesn't even breathe fire. So, yeah, I just... Uh, expecting women to give up the state without protectors is, I think, somewhat unrealistic. And I think, I think that women will still respond to a man who's confident. And it's intriguing when a man is confident in that way. Yeah, look, I'm, men, men are built to talk to girls. And I'm going to talk to girls. And if I come across... Well, first of all, I'm going to try and evaluate, and you could usually get a sense of whether somebody is like some woman is, or you know, some man. We're talking about women here is kind of a woke lunatic. Yeah, you can kind of tell that. You can kind of tell that pretty quickly uh, ahead of time, and if you haven't been able to tell it by like hair length, hair color, um, clothing, you know, do they have black fingernail polish on, and all kind of like different colored eyebrows and whatever, you'll you'll quickly uh, f- figure that out. And remember, most women are not woke in, in the way that we would like the sort of multi-haired, you know, pear-shaped nonsense. Most women are not woke. 
And men are designed to talk to women. And, you know, again, you don't want to impose, you don't want to stalk, you don't want to follow. And if she's busy, respect that. I mean, I, I don't need to tell you guys all of that, but, you know, we're kind of built to talk to girls. And if we don't, then what? If we don't, uh, women will just continue to run to the state. You're going to be like the catcher in the rye, I think, and to go talk to girls. Now, even if you go talk to girls, and deep down girls want to be talked to, I mean, single women, for sure, deep down girls want to be talked to. I mean, there's a bunch of layers of propaganda and all of that, but uh, deep down, single women do want to be talked to because it's a real compliment. And the alternative is what? Like, what is, what is the plan if it's not meeting, meeting women? Well, they, they, and I'm not saying, you know, you've, you've got to sacrifice yourself to an unpleasant woman so she doesn't be a socialist. I'm not, I'm not talking about taking any of those kinds of bullets. It's just that in the past, men had to rescue women from predators, varieties of animals. They had to rescue women from floods and, and fires and Genghis Khan. Um, we just have to rescue women from the media and hair dye. So I just wanted to uh, get that uh, idea across. And again, whether it's right or wrong, I'm sort of happy to hear more about what uh, people think. Not right now, because actually um, my wife has just finished making some food. So <laughs> she's probably going to eat something because she does make some some fine chow. But yeah, I, listen, really appreciate everyone dropping by tonight. And of course, because you glorious people are mostly donors, I also wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support, which is what makes this whole shindig possible. And I really, really do appreciate that. And um, I guess we'll talk to you all Wednesday night. I got a couple of oh, absolutely crackerjack call-in shows coming out over the next little while. Stuff that is some of the most jaw-dropping stuff I've ever uh, done because you know while I'm not doing some of this kind of stuff I am of course a lot of times so I've got the truth about sadism which I hope you'll check out but yeah I do do a lot of call-in shows and there's a lot of those in the pipe so of course really want to thank the people who did these call-in shows and you'll sort of see why when you hear them so yeah just listen lots of love I really really do thank you so much for your support of the show and um, if there's anything else I can do to provide value please please let me know have yourselves a just superb superb Afternoon. Uh, thanks for dropping by this afternoon. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.